Would you like to be remembered as generation equality? A generation that understood the social, human and economic imperative of diversity, equality and inclusion. A generation that explored innovative approaches to rebound from the pandemic, uplift communities and nations for that matter. If that hits a chord, come, let's explore the trillion dollar opportunity that remains untapped. Winning Side, a series of dialogues about winning themes, such as diversity and inclusion, creating social impact and leading change. Hello and welcome to the Winning Side Suite. This is your host, Sarah Hassan. And today I am here to explore a very wide yet very crucial element, which is women in business. It's an area fairly underutilized. And if given the right support, it can help increase the global economy from $2.5 trillion to $5 trillion. Now that's big. In this dialogue, we have invited esteemed guests from the public and private sector who have a first-hand experience with women-led businesses. Along the course of our conversation, we'll explore untapped opportunities and identify how I and you as individuals, communities, and organizations can come together to support this potential for global growth. And without much delay, I'd like to introduce and bring on board my wonderful guests. My first guest is from the public sector, but wears multiple hats. She's Jess Gosling. Jess is named 27th in the top 100 women future leaders in 2020 and is the most influential women in tech UK 2020 as well. She is a serial multi-hyphenate with a passion of all things interdisciplinary and intersectional. By day, Jess works within the UK government on matters of cultural diplomacy. By night, she leads an award-winning global network seeking to challenge the narrative of upskilling and development. She has over a decade of experience in various sectors and has bridged the gap between culture, diplomacy and innovation through her deployments in various organizations such as the United Nations, NGOs and civil societies, as well as startups. If that's not enough, somewhere in between the day, she has found ample space and time to challenge herself with starting off a PhD in this field. She's a public speaker on unseen disabilities and champions neurodiversity in the workplace. Welcome on board, Jess. Our second speaker is Eon Greaves. Eon is a director of women in business at NatWest Group. With over 800 women in business specialists, she supports the, the overall network to collaborate, to build relationships and influence senior stakeholders and strategic partners across the UK. Ian has an integral role with the interventions of the Rose Review of Female Entrepreneurship, which seeks to address the £250 billion economic opportunity in the UK economy if women were to set up and scale their businesses at the same rate as men. Ian is 
an experienced coach, mentor, and a non-exec director. She holds a number of external board positions as a trustee at First Board, Growth Company Business Finance, and she's also a member of two Scottish government boards focusing on female equality. We are absolutely, absolutely delighted to get inspired by these two wonderful guests. So welcome, Jess and Ian. All I will say is that I want Yvonne to be my mentor. So excited. Happily speak to you after this. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. I'm sure there are many others who share that sentiment. Just share your behind-the-scenes personal journey as a founder of Growth and Grace, as a diplomat of the UK government, and as a PhD student. I wouldn't go as far as saying I'm a diplomat. <laughs> I would love that one day. My experience is very non-linear. I am neurodiverse. I have ADHD, dyslexia and anxiety. It's, it's really come into my personal brand probably the last two years. I got my diagnosis quite late on in life. My whole career has either focused on academia, startup, civil society, international organizations. The crux of my passion and engagement has always been the transmission of ideas, how we can come together under the lens of diplomacy. I currently work within the UK government on matters of culture, diplomacy, soft power and international affairs. And I just started my PhD in interdisciplinary thinking. I started my career not thinking policy or entrepreneurship were places that were available to me. I never saw someone who was neurodiverse, someone who represented me. I ended up reading Korean at SOAS and was shipped out to Seoul when I was 18 to obviously learn Korean. And I'm now be proficient in Korean and a number of other languages. And that was the moment I really thought about pushing my boundaries. If anyone's done a Myers-Briggs personality test, I am 100% extroverted. Adding that to the neurodiversity, I see them as superpowers. But for me, it's always come down to how can we lift up others, thinking in a cross-sectoral approach. Everything that you ever do adds value somewhere else. And I think it's something that I didn't appreciate about three years ago. And I was not in a very good work situation. There was a lot of negative sentiments around that. And I, there was a lot of hard lessons that I had to learn. So the transmission of ideas is something that I've always been very interested in. And I never thought of myself as a thought leader until someone called me it. I've always kind of owned my own space and advocated for myself. And for a lot of people, self-advocacy can be really, really challenging. That's why I ended up qualifying as a facilitator for the Google I Am Remarkable initiative, challenging the narratives around self-promotion for women and underrepresented groups. If you don't celebrate yourself, who's going to celebrate you? I've always been about giving back. I come from a family of civil servants. So for me, it's always been something that's been very rooted in my identity anyway. <laughs> that's wonderful. And that I really like your point about celebrating yourself. I've heard you as a huge proponent of self-promotion and celebrating yourself. And that's something I supremely admire about you. Ian, you are a huge supporter of women-led enterprises, a mentor, a coach, and a non-exec. Please share your journey. What were the key milestones and what inspired you to be where you are today? I had a very corporate career. I went on a traditional grad scheme, went into retail banking, went through the sort of that route into management. Um, the real change in my life happened when I had children. 
I had my, my daughters and that because I was torn between wanting to spend time with them and also having a corporate career and it was really, really hard to juggle in those stages. Those years, this is 17, 19 years ago, so quite a while ago. So I took the decision to take some time out and spend that time with um, my daughters and I did uh, an MBA. That was a phenomenal experience. I just loved the learning. And, and then I was left with a decision. I had a couple of years before the girls went to school and I thought, what can I do? I really, I don't see myself going back into corporate life. I would love the opportunity to have my own business. So I had a couple of side hustles. I tried to set up an eBay business. I tried to set up several businesses and I went around several support agencies looking for just a little bit of um, guidance. And I was kind of stuck. I didn't really know where to go. And also I'd lost a lot of confidence in, in myself and my own abilities um, because I'd had that career break. Fast forward, I ended up going back into financial services, into banking, and I had a very traditional corporate career looking after lots of um, businesses. And one day I was struck with the realisation that I was the only female in my team and that I only had pretty much male customers. And it was kind of a light bulb moment. And I thought, why is that? So I started investigating why that was and I realised that there was quite real disparity between male and female-led businesses, especially around um, the larger businesses that I was looking after. And it started this journey into enterprise education, women in business and social enterprises. As a mother of two girls, women in business just sits so naturally with me. It's just, I just want to inspire more women to set up and scale in business. And ironically, now I have all the tools and all the skill set to support me where I was 17 years ago. I've been there, I've lived that experience and hopefully I can support more women because more women do set up in business when they've had a child or they've had some sort of event. They, they see the career that they had and think, how can I juggle this? What can I do? And then you start building in um, some of your new um, found areas that you really want to focus in. So that's what I'm trying to do with the women in business strategy that I look after now for NatWest Group and the various brands within that is just to support more women to set up and also to scale their business. But it's such an interesting area and there's so so much we can do to support each other and really collaborate. I think the key is collaborating. Yeah, it makes me think like you're saying that you were trying to deliver what wasn't available to you. So that really is giving back and it's awesome. I love it. And, and I think we'll, we'll touch on it hopefully later, the mentoring and the sort of the non-exec. I'm so passionate about more women starting their non-exec career early, pre-children, get, get started as early as can. You've got so much that you can give and there's so much that um, you'll learn from the experience as well. That's a very top tip. <laughs> we are in a very special space and uh, it's, there are no discussions that go around without talking about the pandemic and just... Yesterday, I was reading up on this report on United Nations where it said that more so now than ever, we need to kind of up our game so that, especially in terms of gender equality, it appears that all the effort and all the work that has been done in the past 25 years may just get wiped off with the pandemic. But we are here to not let that happen and uh, trying to find out what, how to kind of make the business case and the economic case and the, and the social case for facilitate and support women. Giving a reference of um, a BCG, Boston Consulting Group study, it is believed that women in business and women in the workforce has like over a trillion dollar opportunity, which is untapped, provided globally women participate equally as entrepreneurs, the global GDP could ultimately rise by three to six percent. And that's what we need in the pandemic. So just coming to you to hear more from, from your side, 
Would you say there is an equal opportunity in a fair playing field for women entrepreneurs, be it startups or be it scale-ups? It's a challenge. Every country and every community is going to have different challenges. But I do think that there is a bit of a vicious cycle of, I'm air quoting, you can't see it, but I'm air quoting, males pale and stale funding, end of air quote. The British Business Bank stated that for every one pound of UK VC investment, all female founder teams got less than 1p of investment. 83% of deals that were UK VCs that were made last year had no women at all in the founding teams, even though 47% of the national workforce is female. The UK Investment Association, which represents fund managers, said that in 2019, Black people made up less than 1% of that industry. And those kind of diversity and inclusion statistics go on and on and on. I think we have a challenge because diversity at a leadership level is often not existent and has barely moved. And for me, diversity, and I don't just mean gender diversity, I I meant diversity in the whole sense of diversity, leads to creativity, it leads to innovative thinking, it leads to new ways of working. There's there's an elephant in the room that we often ignore, and it's a big elephant. The challenge around meritocracy, ultimately, society is riddled with bias and unconscious bias and conscious biases fundamentally stops opportunities from spreading widely and fairly. And I think that's, it's not just a female issue. (laughs) It's a societal issue. And when you say equal opportunity, for me, that's not just gender diversity, it's everyone. And if you're a woman, and if you're BAME as well, or if you have an unseen disability, or you're from a low socioeconomic background, for me, I haven't quite figured out how I'm going to term it, but I'm kind of coming up with a concept called like Lego brick stacking. So each Lego is like a disc potential discrimination so you're BAME if you have an unseen disability if you're from a low socioeconomic background maybe English is not your first language and you're all woman you have a lot more stigmas to get over a lot more discrimination hurdles to get over before getting funding or joining a startup or being taken seriously I know I have faced those things and I navigate in spaces that are quite privileged so I'm from like Labrick Grove. You know, I used to talk in a very different way before coming to uni. A lot of people ask, oh, have you been to private school? Or you're very eloquent. Oh, you have dyslexia. I didn't know that. There's so many unconscious biases that we don't see or spot and don't check ourselves. I think leveling up the playing field for any entrepreneur is going to be a difficult one because especially with VC funders, I refer to VC funders because in terms of funding, I'm very passionate about the VC funding space and making it more accessible because I've been doing a lot of reading around that and, and the Rose Review. So thank you, Yvonne, for adding your value into that. I did see your name on there. So great. If the industry itself isn't diverse, how are we going to support changes in the industry from a downward level? You can't have change from just one level of the industry and is a mechanism for growth rather than a tick box exercise. And I'll say this once and I hope everyone takes it away and agrees. Diversity is not a tick box exercise. You should just do it because that's what you should do. I'm very mindful that I'm sitting in my flat in London and anyone listening to this, if they're up and down the UK or or further afield internationally, that's also another challenge. I thought we'd say about opportunity as I said in my first sentence, every situation is different. 
every country is different. Certain places are more ahead than others. That's the challenge that the more ahead countries have is also putting the ladder down for those who are not that ahead. It's multifaceted and I'm sure Yvonne can add more flavour to that. You're absolutely spot on. The, the British Business Bank report on VC funding was a very depressing read at the 1%. However, I think there's the good thing is I'm seeing movement in the market with regards to more women becoming VCs and more women becoming investors. But we also need to see um, more female businesses wanting to consider the VC route, but also making it more accessible for them. And then obviously having more funds investing in women and in also, we add in there the sectoral layer that a lot of female businesses maybe aren't in some of the sectors that are more fashionable at the moment that investors are investing in. You mentioned the Rose Review and one of the key pillars of that is around finance and the Investing in Women Code built into that. We have now 66 for financial service institutions, VCs and angel firms that have signed up to sharing data and best practice guidelines um, across the UK, showing the support and what they're doing to try and change these stats, this 1% stat, and make it more accessible, which is brilliant. We're the only, we're the only country in the world that's got something like this, and the other countries in the world are looking to us to see how we deliver it and what transactional change we see over the years to come, which is really exciting to be involved with. To both your points, it's a multifaceted challenge. I think there's a huge investment gap. We we talk about uh, gender pay gap. We don't talk about investment gap, in as Red just rightly mentioned, not just for gender, but every other area where there's call for diversity. While these are things that are external to one, and we can have dialogues pushed towards call for action from policymakers and governments and, and VCs and, and banks. But as individuals, as entrepreneurs, if one thinks that I'm not good enough, how should I go ahead and take that entrepreneurial plunge? Do I even have it in me? So that's why the imposter syndrome comes in. And somewhere, every one of us at some point feels that. What's the secret sauce to take that plunge? Everyone feels imposter syndrome, doesn't matter what your gender you are, what background you are, what language you speak, or what colour your skin is. Research has found that 70% of people feel it at all levels of society and also senior leadership. I am a serial fan of self-promotion and self-advocacy and advocating for other people. So for me, I find my secret source has been that lifting up of others and that collaboration. Collaboration is, I would say, is my secret source. I couldn't I wouldn't have become the person I am today if I hadn't collaborated. And at the moment, I'm. whenever this goes out, I'll probably be a couple of weeks into this process, but I actually just registered as being a sole trader. So actually this morning, and I'm doing all this kind of, hopefully Yvonne is proud of me, a big shoes I'm looking to. Um, and I'm not going to divest too many secrets. Um, watch this space. There's no amount of education that can make you, air quotes again, ready for entrepreneurship. For me, it was very much trial and error. There is no right or wrong way of doing entrepreneurship. It's also different. I do a lot of stuff with Enterprise Nation and Startups Magazine and the General Assembly around kind of setting up business, coaching, mentoring. The conversations are the same. We all have imposter syndrome. It's just what story you tell and how you craft it and also who you align with and what makes you different. There are many different ways to cut a cake, the entrepreneurial cake. And I think it's just having that self-belief. Accomplishments don't speak for themselves and it's not bragging if it's based on statistics. Ensuring that you're telling your own truth, really. 
um, me being on this podcast is a sign of success. Again, success is what you make of it. I'm, I'm blushing as you say it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the, su- the surprise element. Entrepreneurial cake analogy will is something that always stay with me. My sort of mantra is just say yes to things because generally I'm uncomfortable at the thought of having to do it, but I say yes and it really does help. The more you do something, the easier it becomes. And So just say yes and collaborate. Yep. That's the way forward. We have talked about our, you know, fighting our internal fights when starting a hustle or starting a business. What are the key entrepreneurial challenges if you were to pin them down? Absolutely. There's been so much research over the years regarding um, sort of the barriers that females face around entrepreneurship. And each each study that, that in each piece of research document generally comes up with very, very similar barriers. And they all sit around access to finance, business growth, mentoring and networking are the four, they're the real key ones. Um, in the Rose Review, we there was a lot around um, family care. Um, and that family support network and we've seen that with COVID you know, like a lot of females having to take on the lion's share of the, not in every situation but having to take on a lot lot more responsibility with um, children during during COVID but making um, entrepreneurship more accessible and increasing access to support and in the funding part it's, it's, it's really interesting because um, we've done a lot as a bank to try and encourage and um, support females around that access to finance part. But there's also, we've got to be very aware that for a lot of women, they don't want to borrow and they don't want to have that access to finance part. And, and there's nothing wrong with that either. I've seen many great businesses um, grow organically, not have access. But what we're trying to do through Women in Business Specialist Programme or through our strategy is to speak to female entrepreneurs and say, there are certain points in your business that there is the opportunity that you could borrow. This is what you need to do. And if it's right for you, we can support you on, along that journey. I speak to so many women that say that they just don't want to have that worry of debt sitting around, around their almost like around their neck. But we know that the right debt at the right time can really help with the growth and the scale of the business. And that's what we're trying to do. But networks, especially during the COVID times, we've we've been doing a we've been listening to a lot of our customers and having a lot of roundtable and hearing how how COVID has impacted their business. And one of the things that they said is that Zoom is fantastic. You know, like they can now, this, there's been a real thirst for learning and development and into a lot of women and a lot of male businesses as well, but a lot of female businesses have taken this time to step back and really reflect and pivot their business and look for new market opportunities. But what they're also finding is that they're missing that networking aspect. So what we're trying to do moving forward and what um, build more time and to sort of have those informal networking sessions more at regional levels so it's great to have national this global reach has no bounds but when we get to the women generally like to work with like their communities want to work with local people and that's what we're just trying to facilitate so trying to facilitate and mentoring is a massive part of it as well around 30 percent of our customers are saying i would love a mentor to help me with my business so we're trying to work on that as well. But the, the main barriers really are that business growth and access to finance. And I really want to encourage females to get to love the numbers. I love a good cash flow. There's nothing like a good flat cash flow to tell you how your business is doing. But really getting to understand and getting behind the numbers can really help you with your business. We know the barriers are there, but work in the interventions. And that's the there's eight interventions in the Rose Review. And I spend a lot of my time working on those interventions and trying to really find practical ways to sort of break down those barriers. I was going to caveat 
to Yvonne's fantastic point. I was recently speaker Enterprise Nations Festival of Female Entrepreneurs. It's brilliant. It's one of their flagship events. But one of the things that I left that the session and that the whole day of is is how important innovation is and innovation can come in many forms whether you're running a huge global business or a small local company innovation is key and the lessons that you learn from trialing and erroring I think is one is something that we I and a lot of colleagues who are female business owners can be scared of because you're scared of making a mistake and being therefore judged by it. The other two, I would say, is again, goes down to the question of success, understanding what success means for you, for yourself and your business. You know, success is, for me, success is someone who can go home and feel like they've achieved something that they obviously provided. You're happy with what you're doing and, and your happiness is a mark of success, as is the positive cash flow, 100% the cash flow. But I think there's also a, something that I've struggled with as a as female entrepreneur has been, how do we define productivity and also the balance with self-care? Because I'm neurodiverse and because I, I have had previously and sometimes still do have really bad imposter syndrome, there's this kind of narrative and urgency to be productive 24-7. It's okay to turn off. It's okay to have a digital detox day. It's okay to value your self-care as much as the productivity. It's all about a balance. And as someone who doesn't have kids or anything, I think there's another layer of that narrative that can be a bit challenging because you're like, oh, okay, well, you're a female founder, so and you don't have a family or you don't have this or this or this. Therefore, you can sacrifice more. Pay your founders. That's what I'm going to say. Pay your founders. It's such an interesting thing that you've just said there as well, because the, one of my favourite TED Talks of all times, and I share it with everybody, is um, a Susan Cain one that a lot of people have um, listened to, The Power of the Introverts, when she's never at her more creative and almost at her more innovative when she's in a quiet space, in her own space, and taking that time out to, to think and to reflect. And I think it's so important to take time out and not always be on we don't have to always be on now I switch off my social media at a certain time and um, because I just want to sit in the couch and watch trashy tv and relax yes, yes to yes to trashy tv my media of distraction of choice is crap sci-fi <laughs> honestly crap sci-fi <laughs> the crapper the better honestly <laughs> We, we all definitely need to switch off and uh, give ourselves a pat on the back, have a spa day for that matter when things get better. And these are some key challenges, funding be one of them. I'm from the financial sector as well. And I think for funding for anything and everything, the, as long as the capital flows are directed in the right area, and that's a very strong challenge catered to. And I wasn't aware of the fact that rather less aware of the fact that the women entrepreneurs find it challenging to take debt or are not very you know open to taking debt. This is more of a first time um, here that I'm listening. So it's that's that's very interesting. Yeah, it's not every woman. So so many women are absolutely happy. But but I guess the, some, the women that I'm speaking to, just it, the preference would be not to. Um, it's about choice, isn't it? It's about having the choice there for, for, yes. for the entrepreneur when, when they need it. I'm not 100% sure. I can't speak for, for somebody. But perhaps if you're not super comfortable with numbers or super comfortable with cash flows, then going into debt or things like that would make you a bit itchy because you're not able to kind of quantify your output and the time that you will be able to deliver. Absolutely. And I think that's why it's so key that there's there's so many other wraparound services that that, that banks and other and other banks and there are other banks out there as well and, and lots of financial service providers and, and support networks can provide to women. 
not just around it's not just about debt you know like lending it's around that whole wraparound service I think this is really important because as someone who is not <laughs> financially um, confident, I'm, I'm, I have a, I have a very good financial background in terms of I'm very financially li- literate. You know, I have a full-time job. You know, I have savings. I have a, I'm self-funding my PhD. But when it comes to business and funding and and like accounts, I'm terrified. I have the financial ways of working and, you know, the workarounds. But genuinely, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one. Well, we, we have to find a way out for that. And uh, and Aaron, help us from a flip side, from a banker perspective. Say if we take a, a user case scenario for an entrepreneur, what kind of support is available for them in the banks? And how should they approach a bank? Should they approach at the seed stage? Should they approach as... Um, at a, at a later stage or get the numbers sorted then approach when should they approach as a business owner or entrepreneur a lot of people don't like the term entrepreneur or as business you know like as business owner which whichever way one i think it's about um having a clear idea of what you're looking for for your business and i know people hate the business plan word and i'm with them on that as well and it's not so much as having a formal business plan but it's actually having an idea that you've got on on paper where you want the business to go and starting to map out the strategy of where you want that business to go and i would suggest you know, like approaching your bank approaching your local enterprise partnerships or support agencies around the uk there's lots of great work going on in the british library one of the challenges that entrepreneurs and females tell me is and i i, I agree to some point that there's so much support out there that sometimes you're thinking where do I go for support? Because there's so much. What is the right ones? I can talk from an AtWest perspective. We've got everything from um, early stage funding and through, and we've also got a business builder programs where we see a large percentage of female entrepreneurs going through that program because it's all digital. You can go in, you can self-select um, different tutorials and different learnings from it through around mindset, around understanding your business model, about building your business case all the way through to our accelerator hubs where you can get free um, support around um, business growth and really scaling that business to we're launching a fund um, in conjunction with BGF and Coots around um, the investment space, UK Enterprise Fund. So I think there's lots of different support out there. Having a great accountant, getting get, asking your network as well, asking you that as women tell seven times more people about a great or a bad experience than men. So in, like speak to your network, but I would approach your bank and ask what support is there for me join networks there's lots of fabulous networks out there we work with quite a lot nationally and regionally and they're phenomenal you know like we've got every woman that we've worked with for 19 years every woman network we've got um i've spoken with sister sister network before we've got what networks in scotland business women scotland women's enterprise scotland lots of different networks northern power women that we've worked with over the years these networks are phenomenal places where you can go and meet other other entrepreneurs and get some support and obviously come approach your bank and say what can you do to support me from a policy perspective and gender responsive or even more diversity responsive policy perspective just do you think the right asks are being asked and the right support is available you've you've had experience with uk in a weight in in your capacity as an entrepreneur did you feel that is there anything from a policy perspective or a government help or a government funding perspective would you feel as a user I I went through the Rose Review a 
big old highlighter and I find it, found it incredibly brilliant and, and very enlightening in terms of the four challenges and the four kind of solutions. I found it a little bit challenging as a user in terms of digesting it, mm-hmm. in terms of in terms of application. I've spoken to some other colleagues who are in the female entrepreneurship space and it can be quite hard to navigate. Sometimes it can be a bit challenging to understand how the policy comes into practice. I used to work in gender mainstreaming for the the United Nations Development Programme in the Caucasus. So I draw on a bit of experience in that role because that's when I was engaged in um, supporting gender equality and gender diversity. I think one of the challenges we also face for users is how far have they been engaged with? You know, are you writing policy for policy's sake or how is it applied? What is it going to look like? Is it a better test? And sometimes that's that's where policy can be a challenge because if you're not a female entrepreneur and there's people working in the female entrepreneur policy space, sometimes, you know, I do not know enough about it. But as a user, I think I've definitely, I think I've struggled a little bit trying to see what I could do and what I couldn't do. One of the programs that I've found, and Yvonne, you might have some thoughts on this, is Hatch Enterprise. They're really cool. They've done some really good stuff in the kind of diverse founder space. And that's kind of the kind of route that I'm looking at. And obviously, you know, the Princess Trust does some great stuff. If you are intersectional, that's what I'd love to learn most. If you're an intersectional woman, you know, so you bay invisibility, low socioeconomic background, what support can you have? I'd love to see a hub and maybe I'm just too ignorant and I don't know it exists. So if it does exist, please illuminate. A hub that that supports intersectional women would be awesome. I would love to see that coming through as well. There are a few studies I've seen around as well from UK in a way where they're trying to explore intersectionality and and some research is going underway. But a hub is something I haven't come across either as yet. I think it'd be fabulous. And I think also getting the data as well around um, around this is key because if you measure it, if you measure it, it gets done, doesn't it? If you track it, then you've you've got a baseline and you can start working from that. But absolutely, Jess. Maybe we can use this catalyst as an inspiration to start doing it. We should all chat shop after this call. Yes, Here we are. There you go. We have a business idea. <laughs> There's so many great hubs, isn't there, across the UK? And it's just finding the right one, I think, for you as well. But there's so much there's so much support out there. And again, I go back to a point that I'd said earlier, sometimes it can actually be hard to find the one that's right for you because there are so many. The one thing that I've really loved is uh, the British Library's IP Centre. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. And opposite the British Library, you also have Digital Catapult, who are brilliant as well. We perhaps need a directory for all these. I once um, attended an event. It was known as a hot dot event and it was a startup i'm forgetting the name of the lady a banker at goldman sachs but when she had kids life changed she wanted more flexibility but she did not want to just have a social life with not much meaning so she started a a hot dot coffee space where she identified kind of six or seven colors and uh, titled them as for example purple was i'm here to inspire Yellow was, I'm here to get inspired. Red was, I'm here to tell my story. So she had like four or five themes. And you just come, put that sticker badge on and start mingling with the people around you to hear their story. And 
That's an absolutely great idea because so many people that I speak to myself, if I track back eight years ago, I hated networking. I would be dragged kicking and screaming to a networking event because I just felt so uncomfortable. It just wasn't for me. Now I love it. And there should be a badge for I don't want to speak at all. Mm. <laughs> just, I love that idea. Um, no, just not, I don't, I'm not comfortable speaking at the moment, just in that listen mode. Exhibiting diversity of thought in its in its uh, very own way. Being a bit of a devil's advocate, I'm also from the financial sector, but still, I would like to put this question forward. Digitization in the financial sector has been significantly high in the couple of years. In the last couple of years, traditionally, the model of lending to anybody, be it women or otherwise, was more like dependent on meeting people, assessing, having a relationship manager and going from there. But now that we have algorithms coming into play, and interestingly, algorithms are built by humans which have their own conscious bias. So these algorithms somewhere are finding their bias or translating the bias from the makers of them. Do you think these algorithms are more appropriate and more effective as compared to face-to-face banking? Are they able to look beyond gender stereotypes and biases? It's a difficult question, isn't it? it it's, it's so There's such a lot behind this. So we do know that there's a lot of, there's been biases built into um, logarithms because it was mainly male programmers. There was not as many females writing the logarithms. So we know that that, that, that was built in. I am hoping that that because we've started talking about it, because we've started to become aware of it, we're starting to break down that barrier and starting to break down that, that and people are starting to think, are there barriers, are there biases that we're building into this logarithm that, that don't need to be there? When I look at um, bank and lending decisions, that we are doing a lot more um, through digital means. Where I would see a little bit coming in there is that when there's a relationship manager, the relationship manager can have a chat and talk about the talk about sort of the borrowing. What I've seen in some of the data that I've analysed over the years is that when a woman is self-selecting borrowing, typically selects slightly less than a man would borrow, so she so sort of borrows less and undercapitalizes um, early doors. Sometimes when there's a relationship and a really strong relationship there and a great relationship with the bank, then the borrowing is more on par. So it's about just being aware of that and build that into the decision-making process. But it's a very complex area and it's something that we are all now talking about as an industry. And I think that we, we're hoping that it's been built out of it. But it'd be interesting to hear your view, Sarah, on that. As I say, male entrepreneurs are, if I may well be stereotyping here, but... They, they are more ambitious and they are more self-promoting traditionally. That's what we see uh, as compared to females. They have this, I, I don't know why, but perhaps they have this extreme stretch of responsibilities and they have this inane kind of approach to be superhumans or superwomen. They'd be looking after their homes, they'd be looking after the work and yet yet trying to be their best everywhere. So I, I, I feel somewhere they do kind of undermine what they're themselves. And that's where Jess's point comes up that we should definitely self-promote, definitely collaborate. And uh, to the algorithms part, I think we have a long way to go there. And somewhere Say if you're a woman entrepreneur or if you are a woman in business lead and you meet an entrepreneur face to face, perhaps, you know, you can iron out or maybe guide or coach somebody if you do that face to face. But if it's an algorithm, it's not able to assess whether it's a male or a female. So I, I, I do mm-hmm. feel there is a 
is a gap currently. And I, I wonder where this would go. I like to think that as women, we've got advanced risk awareness. So we, we, we've analysed it. We've talked ourselves out of the situation sometimes. And then before you approach um, um, for, for anything, you, you know, like you've given it a lot of consideration because language is so important. I, I hear a lot of like women are risk averse. And I hate that. I think I'm not risk averse. I've given all the different scenarios, my judgment and my thoughts. And I've been completely aware of them all. And this is a decision that I've made. So I think language is one of those big, big things that we just need to be really, really aware of. And um, could, I couldn't talk more about language. I hear so much about women lack confidence. Mm. And I think, God, that's self-fulfilling. You're like, if I keep saying to my daughters, women lack confidence, they'll say to me, wait, what age do I start lacking confidence at? <laughs> And it's like, we don't want to build that into, into we know it's there, but we don't want to basically, basically put it down to the next generation. And I think that's why I love this area so much, because there's so much that we can do to support and, and there's so much to be done as well. There's, we've just um, scratched the, the tip of the iceberg, I think. That's very true. As we come to the end of this, I'd like to talk about the way forward. We are... Um, in a COVID situation, m women are stretched. There are reports from IMF saying, you know, the current situation may roll back efforts to gender equality to as far back as 30 years. What are the opportunities and what are the challenges that you see for women in business in, and, and for governments and for funders? What are your, say, two points or three points that you'd like to kind of call for action Basically, we, we continue to push forward. We continue to share our voice. We continue to um, keep our businesses. A lot of the businesses that I'm speaking to have, have innovated. And some of them have actually, I was speaking to a woman who had an events business and overnight her business disappeared. But she decided she pivoted to setting up websites. And within the space of a few weeks, she had four or five websites that she built. And as it happens, they were all for female businesses business owners. So there was a real opportunity. We've seen a lot of opportunities around sanit hand sanitizers, etc. So I think it's about being adaptive and um, being um, and continue to be innovative back to Jess's point, continue to be innovative. And you don't need to invent something brand new. You can be innovative with your, your supply chain or with your business processes. It's just that being innovative and talking to each other, sharing the stories. We, we can't have enough role models. You know, like Mine is quite similar. <laughs> um, the first one is something that I, I've been sitting on for a while and it connects with the gender biases we saw or what that you guys that we discussed earlier around the digitalization of products and kind of the world that we live in especially now in covid the gender data gap is something that i wanted to chip in but the conversation was flowing so easily i did i thought it was such a rich conversation i was wanting to save it the end um ultimately we're living in a world that has been designed for men for the most part we haven't been collecting data on women and that is ultimately the gender data gap and if we want to design a world that works for women for the future as of the future as well as it works for men of the present we're gonna have to close it we need to start collecting set a greater data um and that is one of the biggest things that i would would say is something that we need to really focus on and that's across the board in every sector but it's especially important in for female entrepreneurs I find because you know for females these kind of things can affect everything in our lives not, it's not just limited to entrepreneurship you know because 71% are less 
safe for women than men because they've been designed using the 50th percentile of a male dummy into voice recognition technology that's 70% less likely to accurately understand a woman than men because, yet again, algorithms have been trained on 70% male data sets. And even to medication, you know, when when a woman is on her period, they weren't included on the actual medical clinical trials for that said medication. So the data, the gender data gap is really important. Yeah. And Jess, I, I, I know you'll have read this book, but the, the book that everybody should read is Invisible Woman by Caroline Criada Perez. What a book. Perez, yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. What a book. But, but when you talk about gender data, you're right. We've been gender disaggregating our data in the bank for the last four years now. And it's absolutely, and I, I get this monthly and it's incredible to look at it. And we, we build our strategy on that. And, and it's I couldn't agree more about actually collecting the data and now sharing the data as well, showing the numbers. Mm, yeah, and also being transparent around it, I think, yeah. is is key, you know, to trying to see, see where to, you know, it's all well and good to collect sex disagreed data, but you know, what about all the data sets where that are already in circulation? How do we make sure that those are fit for purpose? So yeah, that would be my biggest one, Sarah. Thank you, and that's that's huge. I think that's uh, the onus lies not just on data collectors but also on providers as individuals. I'm very much into re- research. If ever I get a survey or if ever I get to fill a, a data. Uh, related question, I go out of the way to do it. It may take you five minutes or 10 minutes, but number of people it's helping or the way that data can be used is, can be it can have phenomenal impacts and sometimes we don't realize that. So thank you for raising it, Jess. No, thank you for facilitating such an engaging discussion. <laughs> Absolute pleasure. And my last and the final question is, what's your winning mantra? going to keep it pc this one has a, a swear word in it so i'm going to keep it pc for all the younger listeners i've got two um i have anxiety as i said and i can catastrophize a lot especially in the unknown it's something that i picked up when i was living abroad the first time um was to deal with that kind of sense of uncertainty and prioritization and the the sentence is if it's not fatal put it in the blank bucket helps me reassure kind of myself that okay I've done what I need to do for the day I've prioritized what I need and the second one is one that I already mentioned before accomplishments don't speak for themselves it's not bragging if it's based on fact they're hard to follow my view is just say yes just have a go just go for it and just say yes and um you just reminded me when I heard from um share of all people who said who said if it doesn't matter and I think I can't remember if it was five years or ten years but if it doesn't matter in five years um it doesn't matter you know like just just let it go and just get out your own way I love that you put a share quote in. That's such a great way to end a podcast. That's such a good way. I love share. Thank you so much, both of you. I felt absolutely inspired. I learned about a lot of new networking hubs. We came up with a new idea of a networking hub. We called out for the need for more data uh-huh. and a lot more. And uh, this is an ongoing conversation. But for now, I, I would just like to thank you both for coming up and sharing your thoughts. Thank you very much for having me. And it's been an absolute pleasure. And I'm going to go and fangirl um, this evening about all of your the amazing stuff that you guys are going to get up to. And I hope this is one of many conversations we can have.
time to design, create and build an inclusive club. If you enjoyed this dialogue, please share this as a care gift with your friends, family and wider networks. Your feedback is what makes us inclusive. Please subscribe and engage with us on the YouTube and Instagram handle. Until then, ciao ciao!